All right, everybody. Hello, this is Joseph P. Farrell with news and views from the Nefarium on Thursday, very early Thursday morning, uh, March 23rd, 2017. And there's lots of news from Europe, obviously, in the last few days. And of course, uh, today's, uh, yesterday's tragic events in London. And uh, again, our hearts go out to the people in Europe suffering all of these indignities. And now the British have joined again everybody else in Europe. So uh, heartfelt uh, sorrow and, and prayers to the people in London. And we've also seen the Dutch elections. Now, today I'm covering a lot of stories because there's a lot of news going on in Europe, so I'm not going to be concentrating on just one article and a whole set of my typical high-octane speculation, but rather kind of micro-speculations because I've got three different articles about three different topics that are all more or less related, in my opinion, to this ongoing struggle between uh, Mr. Globaloney and their vision of society and the future and those who are struggling to maintain their culture. Uh, we've seen the Dutch elections, and it's a very interesting result. This is kind of the backdrop for these articles, Herbert Wilders' party did not gain a majority in Holland. However, as I understand it, Dutch law actually kind of prohibits, you know, under their constitutional system, kind of prohibits any one party gaining that sort of uh, power. They prefer coalition governments. Now, it's interesting that Herbert Wilders' party, from what I have been told, and I have not yet been able to confirm this with any of our members that actually live in the Netherlands, but apparently Herbert Wilders' party picked up six seats and the ruling party in the coalition government of uh, Prime Minister Rutte lost six seats. So it's very interesting, a, a strong showing apparently for uh, Herbert Wilders, which is kind of the backdrop for what we're seeing today. I'm going to lead off with this article from the Middle East Monitor. And the title of this article is Turkey Accuses Germany of backing a failed coup. And I want to read several paragraphs here because this is a very interesting story. And I'm not going to be so quick as to dismiss Turkey's claims here, although I do find them suspicious. All right. We can go both ways on this. Quote, Turkey today accused Germany of supporting the, net the network of U.S.-based Turkish Muslim maverick cleric that it blames for last year's attempted coup, comments likely to aggravate a diplomatic feud between Ankara and Berlin. Yesterday, the German news magazine Der Spiegel published an interview with the head of the BND Foreign Intelligence Agency, that's the Bundesnachrichtendienst, who said that Ankara had failed to convince Berlin that the cleric Fethullah Gulen was responsible for the coup attempt. Skipping a bit here, President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's spokesman said Call's comments, this is the uh, Bruno Call, the head of the Bundesnachrichtendienst, that Call's comments were proof Germany was supporting Gulen's network, and of course this falls far short of any such proof at all, which Ankara refers to as the Gulenist Terror Organization, or the FETO. I'm skipping again here just a bit. Why are they protecting them? Because these are useful instruments for Germany to use against Turkey. And this is Ibrahim Kalin, a uh, Turkish minister apparently in the Erdogan government. Germany and Turkey 
have been locked in a deepening row after Berlin banned some Turkish ministers from speaking to rallies of expatriate Turks ahead of a referendum next month, citing public safety concerns. And then a final paragraph here from this important article. The Turkish government blames Gulen's networks of followers in the military for the abortive putsch in July when a group of rogue soldiers seized tanks, helicopters, and warplanes to attack parliament and attempt to overthrow the government. More than 240 people died in the attempt. Now, this is very interesting in the light of the fact, if you recall, if you if you dial back to last year when that coup attempt actually occurred, President Erdogan actually boarded a plane. Apparently, he was uh, resorting somewhere in a resort town in southern Turkey. He made his way to Istanbul, boarded a plane, and actually took off, and he was flying to Germany and had requested asylum uh, from Germany, and Chancellor and Merkel refused. So that's a bit of backdrop here to what's been going on with the deepening, souring relationships between Turkey and Germany. And the other thing that we have to remember is that Germany has been trying by a variety of means to stem the flow of immigrants that are coming through Turkey into Europe, including giving Turkey payments and so on and so forth. And this has soured uh, soured relationships between Ankara and Berlin. But it's notable here that what Turkey is implying, and this is where I tend to think we might be looking at at least some sort of kernel of truth in all of Turkey's claims here, uh, that we would have to we would have to be very careful before we simply reject them out of hand, and that is the allegation that Turkey is making that the German intelligence service is somehow connected to the abortive putsch attempt last year in Turkey, and that it is somehow connected with this network of Fatula Gulen, who's the exile cleric in exile in the United States. Now, at the time of the coup, you'll recall that Turkey was pointing the finger at this network and also pointing the finger at the CIA. This change in the narrative may reflect, and I want to stress here, may reflect some sort of intelligence that the Turks have managed to gather since that time. And given the souring relations, the immigrant crisis, the official posture of the Merkel government welcoming, you know, open borders, everybody who's a refugee in the Islamic world come here, you know, we welcome you with open arms. This this implies that Merkel has adopted a public policy, a public face on the one hand, and a covert policy on the, the other, which certainly seems to be borne out by some of their very quiet diplomatic efforts in Turkey. So this is a story, I think, that might be one to watch because uh, there are accusations... Uh, being thrown back and forth between Ankara and Berlin. And eventually, I think something might crack here. And if it does crack, there might be a whole lot more information to make sense out of what's been going on in that part of the world than meets the eye. So a semi-important story that I want to lead off there and bring your attention to. Now, another thing that has happened this in the last couple of weeks, pardon me, is that we've seen... All of these elections, the campaign in, in 
the Netherlands, we, there is a similar campaign that was going on in Hungary, and this is a UPI, United Press International story by Ed Adamczyk, dated March 13, 2017. The title of this article is Hungary's President Re-elected Beating Back Challenge by Soros Candidate, and that's in quotation marks in the actual title of the article. Now, this is interesting because I want to read just uh, three paragraphs here from this article. The dateline is March 13th. Hungarian President Janos Adar was re-elected by parliament to a second five-year term, defeating a challenger his party claimed was backed by George Soros. Now, that's an interesting tell right there. In the balloting, 170 of 191 members of parliament voted in the two rounds of the election. The first round required a two-thirds majority. Members of parliament voted in two rounds to re-elect Adair, a member of the Fidesz party headed by the Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban. Last paragraph. Adair talked of the accomplishments of his first term, including, <clears throat> pardon me, the Serbian government accepting his apology for war crimes committed by Hungarian military personnel in World War II. He went on to detail his participation in the fight against climate change and closed by quoting a Hungarian poet named Janusz Arani. Quote, if we don't have a homeland, then we don't exist. We won't have oxen or sheep. We won't have homes or land. We will not be ourselves because a homeland is built from these things. Now the question is, do we want the homeland to live or not? Unquote. Now that's very interesting because, as the article notes, there during the Hungarian campaign there was concern that the opposition was someone being backed by George Soros. Now, there's absolutely no evidence suggested in this article that that was the case, but it's interesting that it was used as a campaign ploy. Now, frankly, I don't doubt for a moment that uh, Darth Soros would be someone interested in overturning the Orban government in Hungary because it has been adamantly opposed to the open borders, multicultural policy that we've seen imposed on the rest of Europe by, guess who, Angela Merkel. So, in other words, I think that this is a tell itself that, at least at the popular level, this this revolt against the the cultural agendas of Mr. Globaloni is alive and well in Europe. Now, the other thing I want to point out here is that you need to recall that as this is going on in Hungary, there were protests in Macedonia, right south of Serbia. There were protests in Macedonia against Soros and his organizations, all right? Now, I have no doubt that Soros was probably involved in the Hungarian campaign because the Orban government, you'll recall, has been wanting and conducting investigations into the activities of Soros's foundations, all right? So this is something going on in Europe, I think, under the radar and is kind of being hidden by the other major political stories. But I think you're going to see growing movements now in Europe to challenge and investigate some of the activities of these big billionaire 
globalists and what they're really up to. And it's going to start, I think, in places like Hungary. I think you're going to see a certain amount of pressure for this coming out of the Netherlands from, from Herit Wilders and his party and so on. Now, the final article here that I think is very important, and there's another looming context behind all of this that I'm, I'm trying to bring these articles to your attention. There's another article here that appeared in the Russian online newspaper and magazine Sputnik. Uh, this article appeared on uh, March 17th, just a few days ago, and uh, it appeared in Sputnik. And here's the headline of the article, Multilingual Society, subtitled, German Educators Call for Compulsory Arabic in schools. And a couple of paragraphs from here will tell it all for you folks uh, right down toward the middle of this article. Quote, for example, earlier this month, the employment agency in Halle began holding parents' evenings in schools in Arabic to help parents with little knowledge of German to better understand their children's options for education or vocational training. In 2015, Germany's Commissioner for Integration, Aydan Ozugas, and I, that name I think is clearly Turkish, suggested that German Chancellor Angela Merkel should give her New Year address to the nation with Arabic subtitles so that the newly arrived migrants and refugees can understand the speech. More than 300,000 asylum seekers in Germany are under the age of 18, and last year, Thomas Strathotte, a German-Canadian professor of computer science and president of Kuna's Logistics University in Hamburg, suggested not only should refugees learn German, but German children should have the opportunity to learn Arabic too. He suggested that German and Arabic be mandatory subjects for children. Well, so much about opportunity. Opportunity connotes choice, folks. Be mandatory subjects for children until their final year of high school exams prior to education. Quote, thereby, we acknowledge that we are a country of immigration and a multilingual society, unquote, Strathota stated. One more paragraph from this article. Now, there's a tendency towards Arabic becoming a compulsory language to learn in schools, Azam said, adding that the Bundestag is likely to approve such a plan because it is, quote, beneficial for the economics and politics of Germany, unquote. So, in other words, Germany's taking the first step to become a multilingual culture and society. Now, the problem is that they're getting immigrants not only speaking Arabic, but quite frankly, Turkish and a lot of other languages. So if they continue with the logic of this, of this plan, they're going to end up becoming another Austria-Hungary, you know, where you had the currency in German on one side, you flipped it over onto the other side of the currency, and the Austrian shilling was printed in, you know, 25 or 26 different languages. And we know what happened to Austria-Hungary that polyglot empire didn't last too long after World War II. All it took was a major crisis to crack it up. So I think what we need to bear in mind with these stories, these stories are appearing 
in the major context of the run-up to the elections in France. I think this is what's happening. And it's very interesting to note, particularly Russia, you'll see a pattern now emerging in Russia. They will run these stories or their leaders will make comments against the new world order or globalism or unipolarism and what have you in these times of major cultural, political decision and or crisis in Western countries. So in other words, what Russia is doing is something that I've been saying that they've been doing for a long time. They're playing the soft power culture card and they are appealing directly to those people in Western Europe who feel or actually are disenfranchised politically or culturally from their gov by their governments and from their governments or by the decision-making policies of the European Union bureaucrats and so on and so forth. So something major, I think, is brewing in Europe. This is all context the way I'm looking at it for what's going to be happening in France in, in the next few weeks. So major context here. I expect that Marine Le Pen will make issues out of some of these uh, recent news stories and how it's going to play out in France is going to be very, very interesting indeed. So lots of news, little stories in Europe, but when you put them together in a big picture, the the policies of, of the leader of Europe, namely Germany, are coming increasingly under question. There's been the suggestion from Turkey that German intelligence may have been involved in the covert operation of the coup. Again, this is coming from Tayyip Erdogan, you know, Mr. Ottomania himself, so take that with a grain of salt. But nonetheless, it's a significant story, given everything else that's going on in Europe right now. So that's it for the news and views for today, folks. Remember, we do have a, a members vid chat this Friday. Uh, there is a new webinar up in the members area. I'm also working on uh, the second part of that webinar. Uh, maybe it might be up by the end of today. It all depends on how much other work I get done. So anyway, hope to see everybody there. Bye-bye, and we'll see you on the flip side.